what do you do when you are in broken covenant relationships? So it's one thing to enter into a relationship correctly, knowing what you're doing. But what do you do when you're already in the relationship, you're already suffering from a broken covenant relationship? What do you do if you're in a relationship, a covenant relationship with someone who they are not a follower of Christ and they're not living up to their side? What do we do? How do we mend them? How do we get back on track? I want to talk to you today on this subject, covenant breakers and covenant menders. Can I pray with you really quickly? Father, I thank you for your presence that I feel here today. I know that you have destined this moment because you want to change lives today. You want to heal. You want to mend. You want to renew. And Father, at the end of this service, you said to me that there would be times of refreshing. So Holy Spirit, move in this place. I feel you even now. And do your work cover up the words that I mess up, but I'm just a mouthpiece. You're doing the real work, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts, our spirits, and our minds to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The people said, amen. amen. So if we're going to discover our answers today, what I want to do is take a a big picture, overarching look at Scripture. Now, there are broken covenants all throughout Scripture, many, time, many that we can choose from, but I really felt strongly today that what we ought to do is take a big picture look at Scripture and, and see God's covenant with His people. Because what we know is God made a covenant with His people, His people broke the covenant, and somehow they came back together again, and then they broke it again, and then God came back to them and renewed their covenant again. And then man, in our, uh, our, our fallible nature, we broke the covenant again. And yet God kept coming back to you and I. All the way to the point, and we talked about this last week, where Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus, his only son, as the ultimate covenant for us that we would always have a way back to God. So if we can somehow look at what God did to help mend broken covenants and what man did to come back to God after a covenant was broken, maybe we can apply those same principles, those same truths to broken covenants in our life. In our, in our big picture design here, in our, in our overarching view of Scripture, when a covenant is broken, you often have one party who is the victim. They've been doing their part, but the covenant was broken because of things they, not because of what they did, but because of what the other party did. They're the victim. In this situation, God is the victim because God has never gone back on his covenant and he has never broken his word. So he is the victim because we have broken our covenant with God. Are you tracking with me? Then there is the violator, the one who violates the covenant, the one who breaks the covenant, the one who makes the bad decision or says the wrong thing or does the wrong thing. They're the violator. In our big picture scenario, man or God's people are the violators of the covenant. So you have the victim and you have the violator. Now, it's oftentimes hard to determine exactly who is who because many of us don't want to see ourselves as a violator of covenants. We would much rather put ourselves in the category of the victim because that places the blame on the other party. It gives us justification in our own minds for doing what we're doing. It, it goes like this. 
you're, you're, you're struggling in your marriage and you know that you're violating your covenant, but you say words like, well, I wouldn't have done that, but they did this to me. You tracking with me? Because here's the truth. Oftentimes, when covenants are broken, we're both victim and violator. Let's start with this principle, this truth, and, and, and then we're going to dive into it more deeply. Are, are you intrigued yet? Do you think this could help you in your life? All right. I want to make a bold statement to you, and um, our team was working on this sermon uh, series together, and I, I want to thank them for helping me work through this and make sure that we are uh, declaring the truth of God's Word in a way that is relevant and can help you in your life, and it's already helped me. And so we were talking about this subject uh, about a month ago, and then we went to the XO conference this, this past weekend. Uh, I don't know if, how, how many of you were able to go last Saturday. Um, it was a great time and, and just learned so much. Pastor Sammy Rodriguez touched on this exact same issue, and while he was talking about it, it was just confirmation. I was writing in my notes, this is confirmation. I need to make sure that we don't miss this in this series. And here's this principle. We have, uh, it's this. Every relationship in our lives has an impact on our relationship with God. Now, this is, a, this is a bold statement right here. Your relationship with your spouse has an impact on your relationship with God. Your relationship with your father has an impact on your relationship with God. Your relationship with your friends has an impact on your relationship with God. And vice versa, your, your relationship with God should have an impact on, on your relationships with the people around you. We call them vertical and horizontal relationships, and you, should be, and, and you can see it in the, this picture of the cross here, because that's what the cross is. A cross is uh, not just the tree that Jesus died on, but it is a symbol of what God has done for us and how his love works. So you see here at the top, uh, and at the bottom, you have God and man. This is our vertical relationships, and, and this is the most important relationship that we have in our lives, is our relationship with God. As, as God works on our heart, as He heals our heart, as He changes our heart, remember, in the Old Covenant, God gave us laws to work from the outside in, but after the cross, through the power of the cross, God works on the heart, and He changes the heart, and out of the heart, our relationships with, our man, with man or our horizontal relationships are affected or changed. Do you see how this works here? So our, our vertical relationship with God, it, when it changes our heart, it affects our horizontal relationships with man. Jesus talked about this quite a bit. He said it like this, uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He said, you will love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And when you do that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You see how it works? Our vertical relationship impacts our horizontal relationships. He, he said this in, in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And then in his Sermon on the Mount, he turns it and says, you are the light of the world. Our vertical relationship with God, uh, it, it, when, when His light enters us, it illuminates us and spreads light into the hor horizontal relationships in our life. Jesus said this, um, He said to love your enemies. 
because of what he's done for us here or what he would do for us on the cross. He said, love your enemies. He said, don't judge. Man felt like we had a right to judge, but when you recognize that God didn't judge us, but he forgave us, it means we can't afford to judge. When this has changed, we don't want to judge. I don't want to judge you. No, 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 no. He said to the, uh, to the accusers of the adulterous woman, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. No, no, listen, I already know that God didn't put me up for judgment, but he rescued me with his righteousness, so I cannot judge. He said this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is as, as he works through us, he wants us to treat people and change, treat people differently, change the way we see the world. Can you see how that would work? The re, your relationship with Jesus changes the way you view the world. If you struggle with your earthly father, there's a good chance that without the redemption work of God and without help, you will struggle with your relationship with God the Father. If your father broke your trust, we tend to expect God to break our trust. On the flip side, if you have a great relationship with your father, I, I happen to have what, who I believe is the greatest father in the entire world. My relationship with my father reflects my re relationship with my father God. Because I trust him fully, I tend to trust God my father fully. So it doesn't have to be negative, it can be positive too. Nowhere in the scripture is this intersection more clear than in the book of Malachi. I want you to grab your scriptures, uh, grab your Bibles. If you're following along on the app notes, you'll find it. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. Broken covenants can leave us feeling hurt and betrayed and hated and confused. It can leave us building walls to isolate us because we trust no one. We have been hurt by people close to us, so we push people away. Being hurt by your enemy is one thing. Being hurt by someone you love is a completely different animal. We expect our enemies to be our enemies. We expect our covenant friends to have our back. That's part of covenant. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. If you're there, say amen. I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort. Watch this now. Really? How have you loved us? You ever felt that way in a covenant relationship in your life? The other party says, I've always loved you. I've always been there for you. And your response is, really? Because I haven't seen it. I don't recognize it. And we go listing a, reason, a list of reasons why they have not been there for us. But God says, let, let me show you. This is how I showed my love for you. I love your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. Here's what he's saying. While you were back at home, Jacob, building your, building your family and your livestock and your sheep and all those things, I was out doing what I promised you I would do, and I was out defending you and defeating your enemies for you. I was out fulfilling my promise. Maybe you didn't see me quite like you thought you should. It's because I was out doing what I promised I would do for you. You know, sometimes there's, there, there, there are moments in our life when it feels like God is not right there with us and right there beside us and we feel abandoned. You ought to ask yourself, is he out there preparing a way for me? 
Is he out there preparing an opportunity for me? Is he out there defeating an enemy for me? How many enemies in your life have you not had to face because God defeated them before you got there? So God is the victim here, not the violator. He was living up to his side of the covenant. We skip now now. And I'm going to skip backwards and forwards through the book of Malachi. So just, just stay with me as best you can. Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful and a t- detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. We're, going, we're about to see a principle here. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to hear. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. The first thing that we see, that I want to show you here, that we see wrong with what, uh, what the Israelites did, was Judah entered into covenants with the wrong people. Judah made covenants with people who were serving other gods and serving other idols. Let me ask you a question. The covenants that you've made in your life, the deep lasting friendships, the business partners, uh, the, the, uh, maybe the marriage, whatever it might be, the, the close relationships in your life, the ones that have called you, caused you the most pain, was it because they were busy serving other gods? Idolatry. They married women who were serving other gods, women who were uh, putting up idols over God. Let me ask it to you like this. Have you been in covenant with people who are chasing the gods of this world, chasing money, chasing fame, chasing fortune, chasing success, who worship themselves? Or you've been in covenant with people who are also trying to worship God with all of their hearts. Paul said it like this in the King James Version, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He said that we should not be unequally yoked. The New Living says it like this, don't team up with people who don't serve God. Put it in the context, there were two oxen working and they would yoke them together. And when two oxen were working in unison together, yoked together, they could do much more work together than they could on their own. But when we are yoked or teamed up with someone who's trying to serve another God, We spend more of our energy trying to keep them on track and keep ourselves on track than we do actually plowing ahead. When someone's trying to pull you off, you have to kind of plant your feet and don't let them pull you off track or you will go off track too. But while we're planting our feet and we're just trying to hang on with everything we have, we're not moving our life forward. We're not building on our relationship with God. We're not becoming productive. We're not fulfilling the promises and the purposes that God has on our life. If you feel like you're stuck in your life, you might ask yourself, in that area or some area of my life, am I yoked or teamed up with a person who is chasing other idols? I know we don't like to talk about it because we want to be free to be friends with who we want and be yoked to who we want and marry who we want. That's fine. But understand, this is a principle in the Word of God. And Judah messed up from the beginning because they were marrying women who were serving other idols. Do not willingly enter into covenants with people who are serving themselves, serving the enemy, 
or serving the world. Now the question is, if you're already there, because I know there are people in this room, you say, man, pastor, I wish I'd heard this when I was about 17. I wish I'd heard this just a couple years ago. I wish I had heard this before I started that new business with that, that partner. I wish I could backtrack a little bit. Well, sometimes you can't backtrack. So let's talk about what we do. Let's get some help here. You okay this morning? What do I do if I'm the victim of a broken covenant? What do I do if the other party is not doing their part, if they're not keeping their covenant? What do I do? Um, Let's look at what God has done. Number one, and I want to go back to that picture of the cross, we have to keep our vertical covenant strong. We got to keep, if, 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 we are, if this one is struggling, the tendency is to pull away and break this one, but you got to keep this one strong. Jesus never let what was happening around him affect his relationship with his father. He said, I'm going to do what my father tells me to do, and I'm going to say what my father tells me to say. I'm going to go where my father tells me to go. I'm going to do the will of the father. No one can come between me and the father. As a matter of fact, he said it like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. That's how close and how strong of a relationship he had. And no matter when people were trying to pull him away, no matter when he was facing the cross and and knew that it was going to be a difficult time and maybe he should get out of it, he said, no, not my will, but yours be done. Even when they were trying to make him king and they were celebrating him and it was a shortcut around the cross, Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not going to let you pull me away but I'm going to keep this vertical relationship strong. Don't let broken relationships break down your covenant with God. He is your source of life and hope. He is your answer and your help. Our faith is in Him, that God is able to restore this. If we can keep this, He can restore that. Number two, keep doing your part. Keep doing your part. You be faithful to your covenant. Whatever they do, they do. But you keep doing your part. You keep doing the right thing. You keep showing up. You, you, you continue to stand in your covenant. Be faithful to your covenant. Don't use the other party's problems to justify your actions. Well, they did this, so I did this. No, no, no. You do the right thing. Here's, here's what I love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were busy breaking the covenant, Jesus died for you. While you were busy living your own way, Jesus said, I'm going to live up to my end of the deal. While you were messing up, I'm going to do the right thing. You do what Jesus did. You keep doing your part. Number three, and this one gets tough. It's not always tough the first time, but it gets tough after that. Uh, We keep forgiving. Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times do we forgive our brother if he hurts us? Seven times? Now you have to put this in context. Seven doesn't seem like a lot to us, but in the Talmud it tells us, which is a, a collection of Jewish laws and ordinances, here's what it tells us specifically. It said that, the first offense, you, you were required to forgive by law. The second offense, you were required to give by law. The third offense, you were required to give a forgive by law. The fourth offense, you're not allowed to forgive. 
So Paul, I mean, Peter feels like he's doing something big, right? He says, how many times do we forgive, Jesus? Seven times? That's more than twice as much as, as the law said we should do. That's a, that's a big deal. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Not seven times, but how about 70 times seven? The idea being more than you can count. <laughs> more, more than you can count. You just keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. Uh, another time they were having this conversation and Jesus says, his command is, you must forgive. And, and the disciples looked at him and said, Lord, increase our faith because we're going to need it. Can you attest to that? You have forgiven, and you have forgiven, and you have forgiven. And I'm standing here today and telling you that the command of Jesus is to keep forgiving. You say, oh God, I'm going to need some faith for that. I'm going to need some help with that, Jesus. I understand. It's okay to ask for help. The disciples did. The Lord's Prayer, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, as he concludes the Lord's Prayer, you know what he says. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, uh, who have trespassed against us. You remember that? Um, he goes on in verse 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15. But... If you refuse to forgive others, I know we don't want to hear this. We would rather stop at the, the, in the Lord's Prayer a couple of verses ahead of time, right? Here's what, this is the words of Jesus. If you've got a red-letter Bible, they're written in red. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is serious about forgiving put it in context. Why is he so serious about it? Jesus said, it's going to cost me my life to release forgiveness. What would you be willing, up, willing to give up to forgive others? What would you be willing to let go of to forgive others? These are hard statements from Jesus, but they are the truth. Forgiveness is not an option. And here's what I love. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, here's what he did. He reached all the way back into history, and he gave, forgave all the sins of the past. He looked to the people around him in the middle of them crucifying him, and he said, Father, forgive them for what they are doing. Right now, he forgave the sins of the present, and then he looked forward into the future. And aren't you glad that 2,000 years later, he's still forgiving us? You hadn't even sinned yet. You hadn't even been mourned yet. And he forgave you. What's the principle here? Here's what Jesus is teaching us. When it comes to forgiveness, forgive everything they've done. Forgive them for what they're doing right now. While they're in the middle of it, forgive right now. And then go ahead and right now, forgive them for what they haven't even done yet. Jesus was serious about forgiveness. Number four, Keep building roads back. Keep creating ways to come back. This is what God did throughout Scripture. Man broke covenant, and God went after them and said, I'm going to build a road back to me. This is why there are multiple covenants throughout Scripture. Because God kept making covenants, and he kept renewing covenants, and he kept refreshing the deal until eventually we got to Jesus, and he said, this is the ultimate covenant. Just keep coming back, keep coming back. It, it works like this. Maybe you've been away from God. 
just nod your head at me if you have been, you gave your life to him, but somewhere, somewhere along the way, you drifted away from God. A few of us in the room, yeah, I see your hands, I see you nodding. Okay, when you were away from God, think back now, how often did something remind you of your relationship with God? A Facebook post. You saw somebody's scripture. You didn't even read the scripture, but the moment you saw it, something hit you in your heart and you knew you were away from God. You saw someone, maybe a church member or maybe someone you knew was a Christian, and it triggered something in your mind. And you may not have acted on it, but in your heart you were going, man, I'm far away from God. I need to get back to church. Maybe you uh, saw a, a, a website or a sermon online. Somehow, God keeps reaching out and, and reaching out and reaching out. That's what He does for us. He never is too far away. You see, as far as you think you were running from God, He was right there running with you. When you thought, I can't get any further from God, all you had to do was turn around and He was right there because God is always creating roads back. This is the heart of our God. This is the heart of Jesus. Always building roads back where you can come into relationship with him. And if that's what he did for us, that's what we must do for the broken covenants in our life. Always creating roads back. Don't give up. Pastor Renner, I've been praying for my son. I've been praying for my daughter. They're strung out on drugs. They're far from God. They're living and chasing the cares of this world. They had not been to church in years. They're living a terrible life. Don't give up. Keep building roads back. I was driving in this morning, and, and I was thinking about this, and I was praying for you. I was praying for people in my life that are living out in a broken covenant, and they're not doing the right thing. And I, can I shift gears for you a moment? Can I prophesy into your life for a minute? I want to prophesy saved spouses, saved kids, saved parents, saved brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, saved friends, saved business partners. I heard people saying, but I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And God said two things. Number one, he said, don't give up. And number two, he said, ask again. But I've talked to them and I've tried to get them to come to church with me and I've tried to talk with them about Jesus. Here's what God said this morning. Ask again. Things are changing. I want to encourage you this morning. If you were... If you're struggling with people in your life that are constantly breaking covenant and pulling you away, maybe you're in that yoke that we talked about, they're pulling you away and they're hurting you, don't give up. Keep praying and ask again. So moving on now. Are you okay this morning? If you're watching online, here's the next question. How do I violate my covenants and how how do I mend them? What am I doing to break covenants? (laughs) What am I doing to violate the covenants? And then once I have, if I'm living in it, and I know it now, and I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking and and touching our hearts, and we know if, if there are broken covenants in our life, how are we doing it? 
And then how do we mend it? Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 gives us the first clue. The Lord of heaven's army, armies says to the priests, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and your master, where are the honor and respect I, have deserve, I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. First thing I want to say to you is this. We violate our covenants when we do not honor and we do not respect. We violate our covenants when we don't give honor and respect to our covenant partner. You say, well, they don't deserve it. Not the point. Remember, we got to keep doing our part. And our part of the covenant says honor and respect. Verse 12 Uh, He went on to say, you dishonor my name with your actions. What are you doing in your life to bring dishonor and disrespect to the covenant relationships in your life? You've been struggling with a spouse that's far from God. Have you been honoring them and respecting them? Or have you been tearing them down with your words? We can be saying the right things sometimes, but we can be doing other things. We can say we honor them. But with our actions, we dishonor them. That's what Jesus is saying to us here. So what's the solution? The solution is simple. How do you mend if you have honor and, and dishonor, or dishonor and a lack of respect? Well, it's very simple. How do you mend broken covenants? You start by honoring and respecting your covenant partner. You honor them and you respect them. You say they don't deserve it. Listen, so honor and so respect. Jesus said, Whatever a man sows, that will he, or the Bible says, whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So honor, so respect, even before it's deserved. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Your covenant spouse may deserve your hatred and your bitterness and your anger and your vile actions, but Jesus showed mercy to you. You show mercy. Don't give them what they deserve, but instead, so honor and respect. Number two, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. We're going to read several verses here, so hang with me. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. I love this. He says, now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Here's what Jesus said. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He said, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Everybody say all. So there will be food enough in my temple. And then he goes on to promise his blessings if we do that. Here's the point. We violate our covenant when we cheat our covenant partner. The New King James, maybe the English Standard Version, if you're reading another version, he says it like this. Will a man rob God? 
He said, you rob me. You cheat me when you don't give me what belongs to me, when you don't give me what I deserve. He's specifically here using the tithe as an example. Now remember, there are lots of ways we can rob and cheat the, the covenant relationships in our life. But he is going to use the tithe and as an example of how we have been cheating God, robbing God. Here's the point. The tithe is the first 10% of all of our increase. Whatever you make, the first 10% is the tithe. Whether you give it to God or whether you keep it for yourself, the first 10% is the biblical tithe. And so here's what God says throughout Scripture. You see it in His covenant time and time again. You see it before the law, you see it under the law, and you see it after the law. You see where God says, bring me all the tithe into my storehouse. Bring it into the church, into my house. Bring it in to, to me. And God used that 10% to take care of the, the Levites and the temple. He, they used it to help the poor, help the orphans, help the, help the widows. But primarily, it took care of the priest and the house of God and then other needs throughout the city, throughout the kingdom. But the first 10%, why it's so important is because he who gets the first determines who is Lord. The first portion determines lordship. So here's what God's saying. I'm supposed to be first in your life. And the way you show me that is that you give me the first and the best portion. And when you give me the first, it declares that I am Lord or in the first place in your life. Are you tracking with me? He said, so here's what's happened. By not tithing, by not bringing all the tithe into the storehouse, you have taken me out of my rightful place and put yourself there. Why were they not giving? Because they determined they wanted to spend the tithe on what they wanted to. They said, I'm going to put myself. Maybe they spent it on their spouse. They said, I want to buy this for my spouse. And they took God out of his place and put their spouse there. Maybe they needed something for their family and they wanted a, a, a new pair of shoes, a new pair of uh, the latest sandals of the day and for their kids. And so they would put them first and they would take God out of his place and not give him what he was due. The second thing here is he says, bring all the tithe. So what they were doing was some of them weren't giving. Others were bringing a portion but not bringing all. If I owe you $100 and I walk back up to you and I say, hey, I got all your money. No problem. Thanks for loaning me that money. I want to I give it back to you. And I hand you $50 back with a big smile on my face and say, look how good I am. I even paid you back two days early before I said I was. And so aren't we good? And you look down and you go, I loaned you 100 You brought me 50 What would you say? You just cheated me out of $50. You cheated me out of what was rightfully mine. You robbed me. Now, this is not a sermon about money today, but this is the illustration that God gave. When we take God out of his rightful place and we don't give him all that is coming to him, that is due him, we are robbing him or we are cheating him. Now, let's apply this to, re to the relationships in our life. You see, we all have priorities. 
The relationships in our life, the things we do, they, we set them up into, in priorities, and there ought to be an order. And God being the first, he wants to be the first. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And so we, when we pay our tithes, when we bring our gifts to God, we are putting him in that position. God cares about the heart. He says, wherever your, wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If your treasure is putting God first, your heart is there first. What should be number two? Number two should be your spouse. Number three should be your family. Now, I want you to note that oftentimes we get these flip-flopped. We put our family above our spouse, and that's why we end up with what's called empty nester syndrome. People who've lived together for 18 or 20 years, got their kids raised and out of the house only to realize they were a stranger to the person they were married to and hadn't built a relationship with each other in 20 years, only with their family. And when the kids were gone, they end up in divorce. You have an obligation, men of God, husbands, to put your wife before your kids. I say to my daughter, you know, my daughter and my wife, they, you know, they're at, uh, if, if you've got a daughter, man, you might understand this. They vie for your, they want to, my daughter wants to be here. She's not evil spirited. She's not mean spirited. She doesn't even know she's doing it, but she's vying for that place in my life. She doesn't want to be above God, but she does want to be right there equal with mom. And so when I've been gone, I was, this week I was gone for several days. First thing she wants me to do is spend time with her. And I had to look at her and say, Kennedy, I love you and I will spend time with you. But first, I'm going to spend time with your mom. And what am I doing there? She doesn't like it, but I am showing her biblical priorities. After your family uh, should come your church. And I'm going to include in this your calling, your mission, your purpose, what God created you to do, how God created you to give back. I know this is shocking some of you, but when I, and this is not a sermon on priorities, if I were, but I could show you in Scripture how it should be one, two, three, four, giving back, serving, being involved in your church, and finding your purpose in this life. You weren't here just to make money, just to go to work at a refinery, but you were here to do something for the kingdom of God. And your purpose is higher than what comes next is your job and business. Your job and business, it comes next. It is on the list. You have to give your job or your business or your however you create an income to serve your family. If you don't give this its due, you won't be able to give this its due. Can I get an amen from that, ladies? We, we have to give this its due. We have to, each one has some, it's due something. But when we move them down the list, we are robbing or cheating there are times in my life when I have to work first and do wife second or spend time with my wife second, but consistent, consistently in my life, she has to be here. Family, serving God and my purpose and what he's called me to do, and then comes our job and our business. Think about it like this. Jobs come and go. Businesses come and go. But these are supposed to last forever. Are you giving it its due? And number six is friends. Friends, covenant friends, close friends, faraway friends. Now, 
We can talk about this more at another time. I would love to dive deeper into these and show you scripture. But here is the point. Our, uh, each relationship or priority is owed something. But oftentimes we come to God or we come to our family and, and we say, how little can I give God and him still and, and still please him? That hundred dollars. How much can I pay you back and you be happy with it? Fifty? Sixty? Seventy? If I offer you seventy, would that be, would that please you? No, no, no. You want the whole hundred. You want the entire hundred because that's what I gave you. That's what I've asked for back. How little can you give to your spouse and still make her happy, still make him happy? How little uh, can you give to your kids just to get them out of your hair? How little can we give to the covenant relationships in our life and still keep them where they're supposed to be? But no, Jesus didn't do that with us. He gave it all. In Malachi chapter 3, he said, bring all the tithe into the church, into the house of God. Second thing we do to, to make sure that we um, are putting them in the right place is we care about what they care about. We care about what God cares about. What does God care about? Obviously here, God cares about his church. He cares about his tithes. He cares about being first. God cares about your money. He, he just does. He cares about your money and what you do with it. Uh, and, and specifically, he cares that you bring his portion in first. He cares about his church. He wants to make sure that the house of God was taken care of. Then he said, if you'll do that for me, I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. The English Standard Version says, I'll pour out blessing until there is no more need. What does that reflect? A continuous source in your life. But you've got to put God first. Number two, you've got to, so number one, we, God cares about his church. We ought to as well. He cares about it the tithe. We ought to as well. And number two, God cares about the lost. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He goes right in to giving a parable about uh, his servants who he had left in charge. And some of them took the investment that God gave them, that the master gave them, and they multiply it. And God said, well done. I'm going to give you charge over much. But one of them came and said, I knew you were a wicked ruler, so I protected mine, and I didn't do anything with it. Here it is, all safe and sound. Here's my salvation, all safe and sound. And, and the master said, depart from me, you wicked ruler. The fact of the matter is this, to not reach out, to not be a witness, to not invite others to church, to not share our faith is not just um, a thing that is optional. It is a requirement in the kingdom of God. Who have you asked or invited to know God? Who have you invited to church? Let me, give, let me tell you, we've got At The Movies coming up in two weeks. Every week in the month of November, it's a perfect opportunity to invite someone to church with you. We're going to share Jesus in a relevant way. They're going to have fun, but they're going to know something about God. And I want you to, I want you to begin praying right now. Who can I invite to church with me? i got to keep moving. What's the solution? Stop um, cheating your covenant partner. Get your priorities in line and start giving. Number three. Oh, and I'm just going to say this and keep moving. You read it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. We violate our covenant when we say terrible things about our covenant partner. What are you saying? What are you complaining about? In our covenant with God, Psalm 78 says, uh, their complaining and their murmuring limited the Holy One of Israel. We violate our covenant when we say horrible things about our covenant partner. Proverbs 15 and 4, kind words heal and help 
cutting words, wound, and maim. The solution then, how do we mend? We start speaking kind, healing, life-giving words over our covenant partners. Number four, and this is going to be our last one. We're going to close this morning. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with your tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You're weeping and groaning because God is not answering your prayers. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'm worshiping, but I'm not feeling him. I'm giving and I'm sacrificing, but I'm not feeling anything in return. Here's what he says. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and in spirit? You are his. Skipping down to verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And I want you to note this. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. And do not be unfaithful with your wife. Now God is using here. Remember, he gives an illustration of the bigger picture principle. He is using unfaithfulness and divorce to illustrate what we do to God and other people in our life. Now I'm going to walk you through this. And if you have been through a divorce today, I don't want to bring shame or discouragement or condemnation to your life. I believe that God will heal you and restore you if you haven't been already. But I do think this, number one, we can be still in a marriage and yet unfaithful. Jesus taught us that it isn't just about what we do, it's about the heart that happens before it. Remember, he said, it's not about just committing adultery, but it's about looking. You've already committed the adultery when you looked with lust in your eyes. Remember that? So it can already be happening in our heart. You just haven't signed the paper. So we, we should never be in a place to judge people who have been through a divorce, especially when we have violated covenants in our own life. We have been unfaithful. Uh, but number two is this. Um, we ought to learn because this is what the Bible is trying to get us to do here, learn from divorce. So if you've been through it or in you're in a place where you're thinking about it, what can we learn so that we never have to go back there again? And three, how can we apply this to all relationships in our life, all covenants in our life? Um, notice the horizontal is affecting the vertical again. I'm, I'm praying, but I'm getting no answer because I've been unfaithful to my spouse. I love what he says here, and the New King James calls it the wife of your youth. She was young, maybe beautiful. She was the girl of your dreams, but she got older. She no longer fit into your plans. You wanted to upgrade her for a better version. <clears throat> He's talking about an abandoning covenant relationships when something new seems like it would benefit us more. Have you abandoned covenant relationships to chase bigger, better, or newer things? Uh, have you abandoned your kids to chase that job or that business? Have you abandoned your friends to chase an addiction? Have you abandoned your church to chase money? We abandon the covenant relationships to chase other things. Now, he specifically here in verse 16 uses some language, and I want to illustrate it for you. And Cody, if you would help me. Uh, Pastor Lindsay, would you join me? He says these words here. He says, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Notice this right here. Overwhelm her with cruelty. 
The New King James Version says it like this. He says, you put on her a garment of violence. So we come back to our covenant here. I'm going to pull this up front. Okay, come up here. So when you got married, remember we talked about in covenants how you would exchange a robe and it was your strength and your protection. Remember that? So specifically in marriage covenants, and I don't know if I can get this on over my coat here. We'll try. Yes. They would exchange coats. Specifically, the husband would give a coat to his wife or to his spouse. This may not work. And on it, everyone would know somehow that his name was on her. So you note here, we have glued my name to her back. This gives identity. She was a Snyder. She is now a Clark. No, Parsons, baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She was a Parsons. Her mother was a Snyder who became a Parsons. I'm just tracking it back through the genealogy. That's all I was doing. I can recover. I can so I have, I have placed my name on her. When I gave her my coat, it said, I will protect her always. You cannot come against her because you'll have to come through me. I'm going to stand in front of her, right? And this is what we do. When we get married, husbands, we're saying, you will not get to her unless you get to me. I will defend her and I will stand up for her. Now, here's what happens. The Bible says that we put on her a garment of violence or we put on her cruelty. Here's what's happening. We're putting on her signs. No one's doing it. We're doing it. We say, she's divorced. She's hated. She's been abandoned. Maybe this one abused how about down here broken you're worthless betrayed but no one can do this to her because I've been defending her so the whole world knows I did it, and I am forcing the one I said I loved to walk through life with signs all over them, identifying them as abused and broken and destroyed and abandoned and hurt and hated and forgotten, whatever else word you might have happened to you in your life, but it goes further than that. I don't even realize, but because we are one, every time I do it to her, I'm doing it to myself. And I think I'm walking through the world all cool with my new family and my new wife, my new job, my new church, my new car. 
and I've got these signs all over me. And I think, I think no one can tell what's going on with her, but you can all see it. And I think you can't tell about me, but you see it. And I did it to myself. It's not just about divorce. But when we're unfaithful, we don't keep up our covenants. We're making her wear this garment of cruelty. He called it cruelty. You overwhelm her with cruelty. I make her walk through life. And she's got to go try to face her friends and face the world with these labels all over her. And I'm walking through life declaring my sins to the world. Here's what we do. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have to repent. We have to come humbly before God and maybe our covenant partner and say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry for what I did. But repentance is not just stopping at sorry. Repentance is changing your ways. I, I, I want to take these signs off of you. I don't want you to be hated or abused any longer. I don't want you to be divorced. I don't want you to be betrayed. I don't want you to be abandoned. I don't want you to be worthless or broken. But I want you to be healed. And I want you to be free. And I'm going to do that by changing my ways and turning away from what I have done. Repentance is a changing of the mind. It's a changing of the ways. It's a turning of the way. It is not just saying, I'm sorry for cheating. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. You know with your kids, they can be sorry and then turn right around and go do it again. But repentance is changing what you do. Acts chapter 3. Thank you, you can be soon. No, I'm going to leave it Solution is repent, change your ways, and be faithful to your covenant partner. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. This is what God will do for you. He'll wipe away your sins. And then what I love here, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. He'll renew you. He'll renew your covenant. This is not just times of refreshment in a, when we're worshiping God or we're in a great worship service. Oh, that is applicable. But, right, but here's what he's saying. Repent to your spouse. Repent to your kids. Repent to your pastor. Repent to your church. Repent to your God. Repent to your parents. Repent to your family. Repent to your covenant friends in your life for the things you have done, for making them wear uh, a garment of violence or overwhelming them with cruelty. Repent for the things you've done and God will give you in that relationship times of refreshment but it starts with repentance I want to speak to husbands and fathers for a moment we can talk about your kids we can talk about your wife we can talk about what all they're doing wrong but it starts with us as the head of the household 
Have you violated your covenant with your words? Have you been unfaithful? Have you cheated them? Put yourself before them. Have you not given honor and respect? Have you violated your covenant? Today, I want to challenge you to lead your family, lead your marriage in repentance and change in your heart. Starts with repentance to God. God, I am sorry for what I have done to my family. Change my heart. I don't want to be the person that I have been. And we get the vertical relationship right. Now, God, through the power of your cross, help me with my family. Here's what I'm going to do today. I, I'm, I don't always do this, but today I am. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when you do, if you need to renew some covenants with your family, your spouse, your loved one, maybe they're here. If they are, I'd like you to grab them by the hand and bring them down here. Ladies, this is for you too. If they're not here, maybe you want to come along. But I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Why? Because throughout Scripture we see altars were a place where repentance happened and covenants were born and renewed. It's a place where God does business. We're, we don't have to pray for you. Just you and God. God, forgive me. I repent and help me lead my family. You might need to say some things to renew a covenant with your family. Renew a covenant with your wife. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask every person in this room, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to ask you to step out by faith in courage and lead them down here or come by yourself and renew some covenants while we worship. Uh, Rikita, if you'll help me. We're going to worship and just going to have a, a few minutes here, and then our host is going to come. Close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're doing a healing work right now, that you have illuminated areas of our life where we have um, been uh, violating our covenant, where we have done the wrong thing, where we have hurt people, where we have uh, broken covenants, where we have wounded and shamed, and we have made people wear a garment of violence, or we have uh, put on them, overwhelmed them with cruelty, and, and we have done things to hurt them. Father, forgive us. Give us the strength and the courage to renew it today, to repent and turn from our ways and make a change. Forgive us, God. Lord, let us be people of covenant, never breaking it, never giving up, always doing the right thing, because that's what you did. In Jesus' name, amen.